What the fuck is up? What the fuck is up? Sorry if this sounds different. I'm in a different room. Long story. Um, how's it going? It's been a minute. It's always been a minute. I promise I have two recorded. I'm trying to be much better at this. I'm trying to make it so we're going to have, you know, every maybe two a month. I'm working on it. But I just need the quality to be good, you know? I don't want, like, crap guests. I want good guests. What have I been doing? I've been in Australia. I've been in the best country in the world, Australia. Um, do a stray tour there. Did a stray tour there. The worst Christmas of my life. Um, so that's nice for me. I hope you had a good Christmas. Mine was terrible. Um, and I went to Australia, the best country in the world. And I got sunburned on day one through the clouds. No one told me there's no ozone layer there. I fried up like a little, little white turkey boy. Um, played some shows, played Unify Gathering, which was fucking sick. Oh, it was just so good. I want to be back now. I'm back in miserable Britain. My miserable life with this, the rain and the cold. And I'm just ready to go on tour. And Stray doesn't have another tour until April. Quick plug with Sleeping with Sirens and the Amity Affliction. And Stray from the Path. And Unity. And if you don't know who Unity TX are, fucking go and check them out because they're so fucking sick. My guest this week is Arik Improta. The backflipping, GoProing, skateboarding, most ripped guy I know that doesn't go to a gym. Drummer from uh, Night Versus and The Fever. We talk about how hectic touring is. Um, I'm fairly sure I insult him for a few things by accident in his bands. Um, talk about working with producers, talk a lot about art, we talk about tool, we talk about, it was a great chat, it was a bit impromptu. Um, yeah, it was wicked. Uh, he's got a website, www.arikimproto.com where you can pick up shirts and prints. He's a very good artist. He does um, Remo drum heads, custom drum heads and stuff. He's such a legend. I met him once at... I met him for the first time at Minor Drum Festival, I think, 2017. And we just, we just hit it off. Because we really share similar music taste and outlook on music, I guess. He's much more diplomatic than me. So most of this podcast is me like ripping on people. And he's like, there's space for everyone. You know, but that's my dynamic, isn't it, by this point? Um, there's still t-shirts, I've still got downbeat t-shirts, there might be new ones by the time you hear this www.thedownbe.at um, so it says the downbeat, but with a dot in it, it was clever it was registered in Austria um, yeah that's about it I think, I ain't got anything else to plug, how are you? don't reply because you'll look fucking mad doing it talking to yourself in your car or cooking or wherever you are right now. Arrogant Prota on the Downbeat Podcast. What's up, dude? Hello, mate. How are you? I'm, I'm uh, pretty good. How are you? 
you didn't sound like you meant that. No, I am. I am. I'm pretty good. (laughs) It's just as you said that, I see, I need to be more focused and just think about this conversation. But as you said that, I went and remembered all the things I'm doing in the next three days. And then I think that's what affected it. But I am good. I promise. You had like a low key free count. (laughs) Yeah, actually. Uh, Just because we're... So we have a fever tour in two days. And initially I was supposed to come home for a week after and then do the night versus tour. Um, But they booked Malaysia and India in between. So I have to go straight from there to night versus. So it's like trying to catch up for two two tours in two days. Oh my God, hang on. So you're going from India to a night versus tour. Yeah. And trying to do it... uh, I mean, like, I'll practice in my head, like, I'll practice on my lap and stuff, but our setup is not going to give me time to run the song, so it'll definitely be, like, a crazy sound check the day of. Oh, but you know what's sick about that? Actually, I did that on this last Australian run, where, for whatever reason, I'm not going to go into it on a fucking public podcast, but I um, wasn't at home for the two weeks off that I had since October. So I didn't, I couldn't practice. I fucking just left my house in a bit of a hurry. And uh, I didn't practice for our fucking headliner in Australia. I didn't touch a drum kit for two weeks. Oh my God. But I was, but I was kind of sucking at the end of the last tour, just a little bit. Okay. And then I didn't touch a drum kit for two weeks. And then we played the first show in Australia and I was fucking jet lagged and I was do- like, just so tired. And I fucking crushed it. Really? It was like, yeah, it was like I, my body needed it. There's a thing in powerlifting where if you do the same thing over and over again, your body needs a deload or actually you start going backwards with the weights. You, you start being able to handle less and less weight. Gotcha. And I think it has parallels with drumming. Like I needed that break. It was forced upon me, but I fucking... I played so much better on the first day of the Australian tour, jet lagged as fuck, than I did probably the last two weeks of our European tour. Yo, but I have to ask you this, because we talk about this in Fever a lot. Like, I don't know if you have the same thing, um, but I feel like everybody in Fever doesn't feel any of the pain or anything until the last, like, show or right after the last show. It's almost like... We, I mean, obviously, this isn't the same as what you're talking about, but we have this thing, and it's like we can mentally hold it all together, and then almost like your body knows this is the last show you get to go home, and all of a sudden, everything just shows up the last, like, two days. I mean, I definitely blow the last show of tour almost, <laughs> almost, almost every single time. Really? Once, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the only time on a tour where I really, really like actually fuck up sometimes. See, I, I've definitely felt that. I also feel like it doesn't matter how long your tour is. The last, like, maybe the last three days always seem like the longest days. Like you could come off yeah. of a. Um, you there? Sorry, I was making some noise. I'm here. I'm just fucking. I'm trying to move my shit because i'm i'm currently in a bedroom right now oh got you um we also have like a 
I don't know. It's like if I'm gone for three months, the last three days always seem long. And if I'm gone for like two weeks, the last three days always seem long. It's weird. Tour is not like real. Uh, it's not like real life at all. It's it's like um, Inception. Yeah, that's pretty much it's it. It's like you're on the second level of Inception <laughs> where it's like one minute in the real world. <laughs> Is like seven hours on tour. Yep, and then the last or, three or, days are the um, are the planet limbo. on uh, Interstellar where the wave moves slow, and it's like like years. Yep, 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 yep. I fully, I fully understand the reference. Um, so your is your flight? What's your flight? India to. Oh, so we first do Japan. So Fever does a few days in Japan, and then we fly to Malaysia, and then we fly to India, and then I fly to um, Scotland. Wow. Um, who you doing? You doing India with Fever? Yeah. So we have Japan as a headliner, um, or headliners. I think it's like two shows headliner. A festival in Nagoya, and then we do a festival in Malaysia and a festival in India. And I think I gotta check, but I think the India festival is us, Chan, and Diplo, and then some other people. Wow, that's that's a lineup. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been to India? Uh, no, I have no yeah. idea what to expect. Have you? Is it? Is it? Yeah. Is it in New Delhi? Uh, no, it's. Oh, mate. Why is that the only place I should go? I mean, I've been to New Delhi, but where is it? Uh, I think it's... I can't think. Starts with a P. Um, I should know this, but I've just been practicing too much. Uh, let me look. Which also starts with a P. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, I'm looking on here right now. We are going to... I'm on Wi-Fi. Uh, I, think, I thought it was like... I thought it was, I don't see the thing is, I don't want to say this wrong. I thought it was Poon, India, but if that's not it, then I just sound crazy. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Okay. Uh, yo, I have a crazy story that also starts with P. Well, what um, happened? I mean, it, it, it ends with P. Uh, in India, I'm going to tell you this. Okay. Don't, if they are, I know you don't, I know you're pretty sure you're teetotal, but if any of your bunch smoke weed and they ask you do you want some weed and they say do you want the good stuff or the bad stuff yeah request request the bad stuff what happened because i'm surprised i've never told this story on the podcast uh mum and dad don't listen to this bit um (laughs) basically if any of your guys smoke weed just if someone asks you if you want the good weed or the bad weed ask for the bad weed okay because we played the show, New Delhi, it's like 5,000 people, my old death metal band, Biotrophy. Um, finished the show, it was wicked. People were so nice, food was so nice, the whole area was wicked. That complete culture shock, but it was awesome. Um, anyway, so this guy comes to the show and he's like, do you want the good, do you, do you guys smoke weed? And I was like, yeah, me and our bases smoke weed. Um, and then... This guy's like, do you, well, do you want some weed? And we were like, yeah. And he goes, do you want the good weed or the bad weed? And I was like, well, obviously I want the good weed. Right. Um, so he goes and he gets this weed. He skins it up. And uh, me, our bassist, and him like, start smoking it. 
and then I start feeling really weird. And next thing I know, I snap into consciousness back in my hotel room, which is about a mile away. Okay. Just, just as I've come, while staring myself in the eyes in a mirror... Wait. Completely, na- completely <laughs> naked, right? With a bidet blasting water up my ass. Like, there's no exaggeration. This is what happened from the this good week. This is no, it's no exaggeration, <laughs> oh right? And then, God. so I, 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 that's literally the next thing I know. And I'm like, what? They got these like little shower fucking bidet <laughs> things? Yeah. <laughs> fucking blasting water right up my ass. I was like, fucking immediately as soon as i come i like snapped out of it and i was like whoa i'm really fucking high how did i get here so Um, everything before that is completely blank like you don't remember completely blank oh my god i clean up all the fucking cum and all the water that's everywhere pop my clothes back on go back to the (laughs) venue which is like fucking mile away get there no recollection of what happened on the way back um get there and then our bassist is just like rocking back and forward in a corner. And I'm going up to him like, mate. And he's like, I'm having a really bad time. I'm fully fucking tripping balls by this point. Oh, my God. Um, and then I'm like, mate, you just got to have a wank. It'll make everything all right. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't do it. I'm fairly sure he never smoked weed again after that. And the next day I asked the promoter, oh, no, whoever gave us the weed. I was like, yo, what the fuck was in that weed? Uh, and he was like, oh, you said you wanted the good stuff. So, you know, like angel dust. I was like, Whoa. Oh, what? As in like PCP. And he was like, yeah, it's PCP. I was like, I wasn't intending on smoking PCP last night. Oh, my but, um, God, dude. India, huh? That Man, who would have thought? I, it's probably massively illegal in India. Dude, five- If anyone's listening from India and you're a policeman, that was a lie. That whole story was a lie. It was fake. I made it up. I, okay, dude. I five thousand people at a death metal show bringing PCP. This, this is not what I not what I expect of India. So I'm I'm curious what it'll be like for Fever. <laughs> Certainly wasn't what I expected. I think you'll have low. I think when Tesseract go, they play to like twenty thousand people. That's awesome. I guess India knows what's up. They fucking do. Like, Stray was in Rolling Stone India, and like. I'm desperate to go with Stray. Oh, that'd be awesome. I know. I, I yeah. like, it's weird. Like the way that we had this set up, I'm trying to kind of like gauge all these different places with Fever because obviously Fever has been like really lucky that we get to go to places I don't think most bands do in the first two years of being a band. Um, but at the same time, it kind of gives me a good heads up because sometimes we'll go to these places and get offers for night verses. And uh, I kind of know <laughs> whether or not it's a place I want to go back to with them. So. It's like a good, good way to test out if I want to go back. And I'm really curious how India is going to be because uh, I was just talking to Aaron from Intervals at NAM, and he said it was crazy. He said it wasn't like anything he's ever done, but that it was one of the best shows he's ever played in his life. They like they made us like confetti cannons and a huge fucking wooden backdrop with our band logo and stuff. It was just so surreal. That's awesome. They just do it real different. Forgot to mention my hypotheses for the what happened what with the pcp was that i'd smoked it 
obviously by accident. I thought I was just smoking weed. And then what happens sometimes when you're on an illicit drug, I've heard from other people, <laughs> is you get something called the come up shit, where your body is like, this is a poison, reject it. And you need to shit like immediately. So what I've probably done is I've run to the hotel because I don't want to fucking shit myself in New Delhi, India, in the middle of a university. <laughs> right. Uh, I've, ran, I've ran back to the hotel, done the shit. Then I've used their little bidet thing uh, that squirts water to clean your asshole. And in my pretty fucking lit state, I've been like, yo, this is sick. And then I've like basically just <laughs> fucked fuck myself with this water thing basically, and then jerked off, and then I snapped into consciousness. That's what I think happened. You're a maniac, dude. I don't I don't think I have any... I like, I have weird tourist stories, but nothing like that. I have so many. It's, it's quite disturbing. Um, so, it's pretty prog metal out there. Yeah, where did that come from? How's the fever on it? I don't know. I mean, maybe this festival is just a. Uh, I mean, it's got to be pretty wide uh, variety if Diplo's on it. I know Chan is up there, but like, we basically. It it sounds weird, but we like get these offers to do festivals, and sometimes it's not even enough to make it out there, but we just do it because we want to go to these places and see how it works. And normally, that's kind of like our introduction to whatever the new country is, and then when we come back. Um, after the festival a few months later, there's just like this super down audience that we come back to. So it's been amazing because I've never been in a project where the like turnaround is that, you know, like instant. Usually it's like you have to visit a place over and over and over before people start to show up. But for whatever reason, that seems to be the case with this band where if we do a festival somewhere and when we come back, it's like we're really lucky that people are appreciative of it and show up. So I think we're trying to do the same thing. When we got the offer, we were just like, well, we, we don't know what to expect, but this seems to, to work out when we've gone to the other places and we'd love to like get to see new spots. So that's both India and Malaysia, kind of that deal. So, so you haven't done Malaysia before? No, I've never been there at all. Malaysia's fucking sick as well. Have you done any of Southeast Asia? Um, the only... I've done... Um, no, I don't think so. The only places I've gone in Asia are Japan, and I did Seoul Drum Fest in 2016, so I was in Korea for a couple of days, but I don't think I've really gone anywhere else in, in Asia. But you're just doing one Malaysia show? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're out there for a little bit. Like, I think we'll be there for three or four days, just because the way it worked out, it's like travel time and we're just hanging out. So I'm trying to see some oh, stuff. Is there something I should see? That never happens. You're so lucky. Because that never happens. Usually it's play the show, fly immediately to the next country, play the show like Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, and you just you just literally don't sleep for like six days. <laughs> so that's sick that you're getting you're getting the VIP immediate. Yeah, I'm I'm stoked. I don't know. I, I still act like a tourist everywhere I go. Partly because I just don't know how many of these places I'm gonna get to go to when I'm older. You know what I mean? Like Literally in the time that I've been traveling, so much has changed as far as like security and everything else. So anytime that we get to go someplace, I'll, I'll straight up spend like sometimes seven hours walking around before the show just so that I can see everything because I don't know when I'll be back. Yeah, it's fucking when you 
I only really notice when I'm like watching TV with someone and there's like a city and in my head, I don't say it out loud because people start getting annoyed. In my head, I'm like, oh yeah, I was there. <laughs> and it's like every city on earth, pretty much in any TV show that by this point, it's like, yeah, I've been there. It's fucking insane. It does make me feel very lucky, but I don't ever feel it until I'm like watching TV or it's like Anthony Bourdain and I'm like scrolling through and I'm like, there is maybe three of these that I haven't been to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think how long have you been touring for? That, that India show was in 2010 and that was the wind up of that band. I think I went on my first tour when I was 16. So that would be 16 years ago. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I didn't start touring. Like I'm catching up. I think I, I think I've done like 30 countries now, which is still crazy. Like it's unbelievable. But a lot of this stuff in Asia is like super new to me. Um, I didn't start touring full time till 2012, just cause I was never in a band that was good enough. Like that whole time I ended up getting a degree in film because I was just trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do, even though I wanted to drum. So I didn't start touring, yeah, full-time until 2012. So I'm like, I'm a little behind you on that one. You've definitely been to more places than I have. Yeah, but still, you are, you are a rising star, my friend. <laughs> we should probably talk about some of that shit instead of just catching up, because people want to know shit. Um, I don't have anything written down, so that's just how I do these. Uh, when did you first figure out you could do a backflip? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when I unlocked Rodney Mullen's uh, final video in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 and his 40-year-old self could do a backflip, I was like, all right, I can do a backflip. Oh, and you just tried it. I know exactly the video you're talking about. Yeah, he does it in Venice Beach. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you watched that and then you just tried it. Well, you could do it. Well, to give you like a backup... To be fair, uh, I did do gymnastics, but I couldn't do a standing back tuck. Like I competed, but you, what I was doing, you just didn't do that. So I'd never even tried it. And then when I saw that video, it was like probably like five years after I'd quit gymnastics because I only did it till fifth grade. Uh, yeah, I just tried it and it worked. That's crazy. Dude, honestly, though, it's, it's more just getting over it. Like, like most people can jump high enough to do it. You've just got to huck it and, and hopefully not land on your head. Yeah, that's the thing that will stop me from ever doing it. And <laughs> also the e excess weight. I'm not the most uh, aerodynamic of shapes. No, but that's because you've got like 100 pounds of extra muscle. It's not, like, it's not like you've like ended up this like blob, dude. I don't think there's that many dudes that are your size that are doing backflips because you probably weigh twice as much as me. Yeah, have you seen that fucking Juju guy on oh, Instagram? I have seen that guy. Man, he is so fucking jacked and so <laughs> big, and he does backflips. <laughs> yeah, he does. Also, like, sometimes it doesn't make sense, because, uh, like, Zion, the, he's, like, the rookie sensation in the NBA right now. He looks like he couldn't jump more than a foot, and he's doing, like, windmill dunks and stuff like that. He's huge. He's, like... Like, however big Charles Barkley was at, like, his peak in the NBA, Zion looks like he's that big, but he's doing dunks between his legs and shit like that. So That's some, fucking sick. Some people just have that extra gene. 
<sighs> I don't. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's talk about night verses for a bit. Okay. That's been going for a minute. And that's like your, I would say, obviously there's other people in it as well, but it's, it's kind of your baby, isn't it? It's your fucking vanity art project. It's, uh, it's definitely, I mean, I try and like do whatever I have in my head in that band, like even if it doesn't seem like it should fit. So yeah, to that degree, yeah. But to be fair, I've been writing with Nick and Riley since I was 12 and we're only still writing together because we kind of like writing the same stuff. So it's like, even if we don't listen to the same music, when we come together, if somebody's like, all right, this part could be better, nobody really argues. We just kind of work on it till we get there. So yeah, it's like, it's cool for that. They're awesome. I, I, they're like, Nick's my favorite guitar player uh, and Riley's my favorite bass player. So it's like, I'll probably write with them till I'm 70. Oh man. It's so sick as well. And also, touring as a three-piece must be the best thing on earth. Dude, yeah, I get to do it for both. It's so tight. Like, I definitely have tried... Oh, shit. I forget. Why the fuck doesn't Fever have a bassist? (laughs) Dude, honestly, um, (laughs) we don't have that many problems. So, like, it just seems like it was working. And initially, it was like, okay, we were doing everything in threes. um, But we were just like... why want like roll the dice and find out if we bring someone in that's going to make this a problem like the three of us get along really well and we all kind of came from the same type of background as far as like the type of show we like to play so i don't know things kind of took off before that ever really got figured out and then we just kind of thought well we'll keep going it's a different world isn't it because animals as leaders still have like a load of bass on track I just find it weird that no one go like obviously no offense. No, I don't care. Dude. But I find it weird that no one like gets really annoyed about that. Well, people are so quick to get annoyed when like Sam from Architects cuts his hair differently, <laughs> and you guys are getting away with not having an entire instrument on the stage. <laughs> dude, I think honestly we talked about this before. Um, it's kind of tough right now with the way that modern music is because if you go to a festival like. Like, our best reference out here is Coachella. Um, it sells out before the lineup's announced, right? So you have a bunch of kids that are just going yeah. for the experience. And a lot of them show up not knowing these artists. So if you have, like, the year I went, I went only because At The Drive-In was reuniting, and that was my favorite band my whole life. And uh, yeah. I, you go look at At The Drive-In, and they're playing next to, like, uh, Swedish House Mafia. And if you're a kid that doesn't know either, Swedish House Mafia has, like a perfectly mastered recording recording like playing at the exact volume it's supposed to be and everything sounds complete and at the drive-in sounds like at the drive-in and i just think in those festival settings when you're just uh like a, a real band with just your instruments it's a lot harder to compete with like these djs and stuff like that when have most of the festival sold out by people that didn't even show up to see either of those bands and so that's the one thing that's kind of fun about Fever is experimenting because I don't really, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't really think there's a lot of bands that kind of like come from the background we did and play the type of shows we do, but then also have that type of mix and coming through like the speakers. And I think it's actually helped out in a lot of those festival settings. I mean, 
if we like we all grew up on punk and it's not something i think we ever thought we would do and night versus is literally like anti-track like i have to play every sample or it doesn't end up in the song but um but in that regard it's been kind of cool just because it's like it almost gets people that wouldn't normally watch the band to check it out in a different way so i don't know maybe maybe that's just in my head but that's the only reason i think it's been working no i know what you mean like people whose perception of music is only what is on the radio and what is on a cd so when they hear like the same sort of people that when they hear an untriggered kick drum they think that sounds like shit yeah i mean it's really like that's actually real life my friend Totally. If you guys weren't going so ape shit, there's no way you would get away with it. I think that's what it is as well. You guys go fucking bonkers. <laughs> well, I think I, to that point, like, that's a lot of stuff, right? Like, even the same thing with um, something like the idea of backing vocals. It's like, if you're a good singer, like a really good singer, and you have backing vocals, people don't really care. Obviously, it's nice if everything was real, but they're like, okay, well, like if Adele had backing vo- like backing tracks with vocals people just be like well she sings her ass off so it doesn't matter but if you use that stuff to make up for what you're doing like you couldn't do it oh mate so many bands do that that's so many bands that the, the bands that load in the fucking 8u rack mounted bullshit and then they're like their gang chants and everything are all on the track and oh i want to fucking throw it in the fucking bin <laughs> See, I, I, it's weird. I try so hard to like look at all of this stuff ob- objectively because honestly, I don't like music like that. Like in general, it's not what I listen to. Uh, I mean, you know, like every time that you post a band, like I almost always write you like, oh my God, dude, this is my favorite record too. It's kind of weird actually how yeah. much music. We- it- yeah, carry on, but I've got a point afterwards. Okay, yeah. So it's not where I, I come from, but at the same time, like... uh my opinion of music has changed so much as I've gotten older and I try and remember that as I go because there's so much stuff I hated when I was younger and then I got older and I was like, oh, okay, I guess that makes sense. I understand why they did that. And, and like, at the same time, part of the fun of it being art is that there are no rules. So I kind of just had to use that, that rule I told you where it's like, if it's not like faking how good you are, then I don't really give a shit what you're going to do. The only time yeah. that I'm like, oh, God, is if somebody's doing it because they couldn't actually play the parts that they wrote. Like the heart machine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what you were saying about our, us having music in common is fucking weird because we both listen to really weird, like, obscure things. The fact that you had Zeraf 3 in your CD collection <laughs> is crazy because I worked at the label that did that right uh-huh. uh at, can- at candlelight for a minute and uh it didn't sell that many copies despite being one of my favorite metal albums of all time yo uh, it is so but good. you have one of the copies it's so strange uh i got it from darren do you know darren i know darren very well yeah darren used to because darren liked a lot of the same stuff i did too and he was working with night versus early on and he was like yo you should check this out and i heard it and was like dude this is dope and i've never heard anybody talk about it other than him and you making that one post um but man it's a trip and then you also literally post opeth every like three days and i honestly think even if it's not the band I claim to be my favorite, that's probably the band I listen to most in my life. 
Definitely, but definitely only like I've got a select few Opeth albums that are some of my favorite albums of all time. And then I don't like the rest. All right, where are you at? What albums do you like? I will start at, I guess, Blackwater Park. Okay. And then I will go. I like Deliverance. I like Damnation. I like Watershed. Okay, I was going to say, you better uh, like Watershed. I like Ghost. I like Ghost Reveries and I think Watershed's the one where I where I like it but it's the last one and then fucking Heritage I don't give a shit about and all the other ones I don't give a shit about okay that's my Opeth list alright here's the thing you named the best Opeth albums so I don't have any argument against you at all uh, there's stuff before Blackwater Park that's really dope but I get that it's still uh, like like underdeveloped Blackwater Park and then after Heritage, have you tried anything after that record, or were you just like, screw it, I don't like this sound? Uh, is there one called Sorceress? Yeah, there's that album. I quite like this. Some big fucking riffs on that. But I just miss... I miss the, like, the heavier shit. No, I get the it. The faster shit. Like, when I think... Wait, but do you like, um... Do you like Damnation at all? Yeah. Okay. Damnation, Deliverance... I mean, I know Damnation isn't heavy at all, but it's still like if you just took all the heavy bits out of that era, Opeth. Right, right, right. I know, because then he kind of started to do those like 70s prog notes, and that's something I had to get used to, because I don't, like, dude, I think that's the biggest turnoff for me for a lot of bands, is they can play amazing stuff, but if their mood isn't like a real mood, I can't connect with it. Like, I like when something sounds sad. Or like when something yes, sounds like yes. really, really, really fucking pissed. But I don't like when it starts off pissed and then it gets like those like educational notes. And then all of a sudden it's like kind of sad, but, but then goes to major. Like when bands start to just mess with the mood too much, I completely disconnect. Yeah, I'm 100% with you on all music. And I, I basically just think it's insincere. Like, right. I only like, I figured this out the other day because someone was like, Do you only like depressing music? And I was like, Well, kind of, but <laughs> I just like music where I can feel the emotion, whether it be fucking angry. Like, I like deathcore. A lot of people don't like deathcore, but some deathcore is so pissed off. It's like, fuck. Yeah. Uh, and, and like sad. And, you know, you can't really make a good, happy song. It, musically i mean you can but i prefer like a melancholy or whatever but the minute like you said the minute an emotion is either like too flip floppy or doesn't feel sincere i'm out of that band totally I, there's no way and i'm the same with the fucking the the prog throwback shit it just sounds a bit wacky but did you ever hear that stephen wilson album the raven that refused to sing no do you know who Stephen Wilson is? I do. He, yeah, the porcupine tree guy. Yeah, I'm like 50-50 so, on him. Like, he's sometimes yes. he's cool, and sometimes it's like, dude, come on. I'm exactly the same. So, this one album he did, like, I could give a fuck about porcupine tree, other than the fact that Gavin Harrison is unbelievable. Yeah, hey, but, hey, that's the most tasteful drummer on the planet, maybe. On the fucking planet with the best drum sound consistently. <laughs> yeah. But he did this one he did this one album, Stephen Wilson, The Raven That Refused to Sing. And it's like, it's a 70s throwback album. And it's like, 
it throws back to like Pink Floyd and Rush and shit. But it's really sad. Okay. And Marco Minimum plays drums on it. It's fucking unbelievable. You're going to love it. I know you're going to love it. Okay, sick. No, I'm down, dude. I, I think that really is like the line. Because that's when you were talking about all this other stuff. It's like that's the one thing that I can't really get behind a lot of heavy music anymore is that a lot of these people just don't actually sound angry. And like I don't or it doesn't even need to always be angry. Sometimes it's just literally like you're so frustrated about something that you have to scream even if it's out of key or whatever else. And it's just weird for me that there's so much music now where they're just like, well, this guy screams because that's the one thing he knows how to do more than him having anything to scream about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, all of that stuff. Even, it. okay, and I will say this, like, I, there's a fine line with, with drumming, but even, like, with metal drumming, sometimes it's really hard for me to watch someone. They could have, like, the best ideas in the world, but if you're playing heavy music and you're just barely tapping your drums, it just seems so, like, like counterintuitive i don't know it just doesn't seem like like what I, like i want to see somebody hit really hard even if it means that they don't get to play as fast um but yeah but let me throw a devil's advocate in here about this because i for the most part agree with you but when i see someone do a drum cover and it's like a song they didn't write or it's a justin bieber song or something and they're like going real ham on it on on youtube with no audience uh i'm kind of like come on like with (laughs) all the fucking with like there's no way you're actually into that that much all right so one i'm gonna talk about that but before we say this i give inferno a pass because he writes sick drums uh and you there's no way you can play it fucking 290 without <laughs> tapping yeah so he he gets a pass. i saw them two nights ago he was unbelievable it, dude he is yeah and the fact that uh that crim could sit in for that is also insane and he hits hard actually it is possible <laughs> crim 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 hits hard the, the standard is crim actually for death metal crim is dope but uh, but Inferno just he's I mean I've liked Behemoth forever and he's always been sick. But to your point about the Justin Bieber thing, I do need to say this: I have always yelled in my room and played as hard as I could, and I do think you can do it by yourself because I've just had like an excessive amount of energy since I was a kid. But it's tough, right? Because you see a bunch of people that are clearly like never headbanged in their life and then when they turn on the track they're trying to headbang and play at the same time and you're like okay this, no, this no, just no. You, weird. you you misunderstand right so i know you go nuts in your videos even in your fucking youtube videos your gopro videos but that's because you're like fucking you're doing skate tricks essentially <laughs> you're like you're like uh you're a, an anomaly here i'm not going after you you're like a fucking freak artist man you know like I can imagine you doing a show one day where there's no drums and you just paint yourself in like a corner and everyone's watching. It's in like fucking Williamsburg and everyone's going, mm, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, really nice. Love the brush strokes. I can really feel the rage. That's going to be um, Minor Fest 2022. Exactly. No drums. I've just given you an idea there and you're actually thinking about it. But I mean like the guys with the super shiny polished drum videos and they're playing along to fucking... Yummy by Justin Bieber. No, I got and you. And they're going fucking 
ape shit and like winking at the camera and shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. Winking at the camera. And then and then they edit it anyway and put it on the fucking grid and lie. Fuck off. Dude, it's a it's definitely a crazy time. I um you're so fucking diplomatic. You don't <laughs> want to have a go at anyone and I'm just rinsing everyone. <laughs> no, no, the thing is yeah, it's fucked up, though, because... There's space for everyone, no, bro. No, no, Check <laughs> out this kickflip. <laughs> Here's the thing is, all of my friends and, like, my favorite humor is, like, the most cynical, critical stuff. But, um, but at the same time, like, I like to use that, that standard, right? Because I just go, like, okay, well, then that means that the people that are good enough or original enough get to where they're supposed to. Like, I have people... The reason I say this is because I have people that think that, like, what I'm doing is, like, me being, uh, what's the word, like, cocky or something. Like, me screaming is, like, being cocky or, like, wanting attention. And that's the stuff that I just know, like, I've just been doing that since I was a kid in every everything I've done. You know what I mean? Like, even, even when I play sports and stuff, like, I don't know, I've just had too much energy. So when I see someone like that, even if I don't like it, I'm just always, like, I mean, maybe that kid has a like a disorder. Maybe there's something about that kid I don't know. Like, like I'm just not. That's the only reason like I hold off because I never know about these kids. Maybe this kid has like a permanent wink problem, and like every time that he this plays, kid <laughs> has not got that. This kid's got a permanent fucking douchebag problem. Uh, but see, again, this is my favorite thing. Like, I love all my friends are like this. I just. Uh, I don't know. I have to be careful. Oh, you're so smart. I don't, but then I just do a podcast and then I just talk shit on everyone. No, but dude, that and look at that. Look how well that works, man. Like I, I listen to all your podcasts. Like you're a really, really good drummer, but I've probably listened to more of your podcasts. podcasts. <laughs> and that's not even saying anything about your drumming. It's just, you know what I mean? You don't really get to pick sometimes the things that just come naturally to you, to you like, you have so much stuff in your life and the thing that you're good at is you can get as nerdy as you want and then also just rip on someone about some dumb shit and most people can only do one or the other i'm a nerd and a bully and most people aren't that's (laughs) what i've done um the thing is i no, i had it i even had it in my fucking instagram bio at one point my instagram bio was in in drumming i wear a medium but in podcast it's an xl (laughs) (laughs) that's dope but I don't think enough people got the joke. But that's what it was. Um, let's get this back on fucking track. Okay. Because I just asked about uh, backflips and then we went off on a tangent. But it was a nice tangent. <laughs> um, so not, you fly, you're flying into Scotland. Yeah. Glasgow. Yeah. Tour starts in Glasgow. Yep. We do. When is it? When's the Glasgow date? Um, dude, I need to more on top of this i'm sorry that i don't have the exact date offhand i'll look it up right now um hey i'm i'm the presenter i should have this already yeah in my new i'm gonna get a new apartment i'm basically moving back down to reading i'm getting a new apartment a two-bed apartment and the other bedroom is going to be just a podcast room oh that's dope and i'm gonna fucking upgrade to video and shit and just have people in it's gonna be sick that's awesome um, okay, so this is February 11th is Glasgow at Broadcast. Uh, and then we do... Yo, have you ever been to Milton Keynes? 
Yes. Okay, I've never been there. That's uh, the 12th, 13th is London, four, 14, no, 15th is Complexity Festival in Netherlands, and then the 16th. Oh. Are you going? Well, probably not by no, that sound. You're doing London the same day as fucking Silosis. Oh, well, Silosis fair enough. Re- reunion. Where are you playing in London? Uh, 229. Where the fuck is that? I don't know. That's probably not, um, <laughs> that's probably not a good sign if you don't I, know I'll it. I'll be in London. I'll be in London that day, but I'm going to be with Silosis. Silosis is dope. Yeah, I'm like looking forward to them coming back. Um, I'm finding out where this fucking venue is. Okay, so if you could get a band to reunite for one show and you could see it, who would you want to see? Motherfucker, this is my podcast, but yeah, that's a great question. No, I, <laughs> pretend I asked you that. Pretend I asked you that. Anyway, Eric, if you could get a band to reform, <laughs> any band ever, who would it be? I asked that question to you so that I could have time to think of my answer. But the first one Another. that... No, actually, no. I take it back. I take it back. I have the answer. No hesitation. Uh, original lineup of Mars Volta. Like, I would pay for whatever for that. I mean, obviously... Well, you'd, you would take John Theodore over fucking Thomas Bridgen. Yes. Uh, here's the thing. Uh... They're all dope in their own right. And to be fair, I actually think that Thomas Pridgen playing on a prog record is one of the most pivotal things in drum history. I don't think any of these white prog kids would be playing linear fills if he didn't write the intro to that Wax Similacara song. Man, that song is fucking unbelievable. That whole album rips. It is. But John Theodore is my favorite drummer over any drummer anywhere. So that's the only reason. It's definitely like a... It's not really a fair assessment for me to say... But there's something on those records, especially the first two, that like when I heard them, I was like, this is exactly what I want. Because it's weird enough and creative enough to be completely him, but you don't lose somebody that's not a, a musician, which is like, that's where the problem is, is a lot of the stuff I started liking after. It's like as a musician, I like it, but as a regular person, I'm, I'm lost. Yeah, the first album's definitely the most regular. But then I kind of like how fucking crazy they went. No, it's dope. Don't get me wrong. It's all dope. Are they not reforming? <laughs> did I not hear that they were reforming? Uh, I did hear that. Uh, I'm not sure, though. Are, and, we, uh, are we not supposed to be talking about it? <laughs> I met... I <laughs> we met, both heard it. I met Cedric at uh, Aftershock last year when we played, and he told me that. But, like, he didn't really give me the details, um, which obviously makes sense, because he's just like, who is this kid here? But uh, that lineup and, and, and him, John Theodore, on those songs, like, I don't know. It's just the coolest thing. He's also the only drummer I'd seen up to that point that could play a simple beat so well that I was like, oh, okay, I kind of want to write this too. Every time, everything else before that, like, I was just this dorky kid that thought, like, the more notes you put in, the better. And he was one of the first people to make me really appreciate being able to hold back and then knowing when to get weird with what he was doing. Fuck yeah. I just still haven't thought about what I want, who I want to reform. Um, and then if not that, I would probably... Ah, never mind, I'm not going to say that. No, go. Nah, fuck it. Uh, I would probably say the Smiths. I know that people have all this stuff with Morrissey right now, uh, but, I do, yeah. but I do love the Smiths' music. You quote me on that part. 
Yeah, Morrissey's out. I'm afraid Morrissey's cancelled. <laughs> However, John, Johnny Johnny Marr is fucking the f- fucking best. Nah, he's a genius. Johnny Marr is insane. Um. So fuck. Cliff Burton era Metallica doesn't count. Yeah, because <laughs> they're, they're still going. Um. Fuck, I'm trying to think who's split up. The problem is that a lot of bands just got shit. Wait, what do you mean? Like Metallica. Oh, like, like, they like just he... got, they got, they're still here. I mourn <laughs> the old band, but they are still here. They're like a fucking shell. Well, okay, then we can adjust the question to where you could see no, them. No, 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 no. <laughs> Let me fucking think. I just don't want to think of anything real obvious. I'm sure there's a fucking... I'm sure there's a good one. Um, There's a doom band called Warning who did one album. And it was that good of an album? It's that good? Of all bands to reunite? I gotta Uh, check this album out. They did two two albums, but only one of them's on Apple Music. Um... Because, like, Rage is reformed. Rage would be my go-to, but they've reformed. Right. Um, like, I'm not going to say Dillinger, because they're definitely going to reform. <laughs> um, What's your favorite Dillinger album? <sighs> Miss Machine. It's got to be. Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't want to be, like, the lame, cool guy, but for real albums, Miss Machine, yeah. But I do love... Um, why can't I think of the name? The one with Mike Patton on it. Oh, love it. That, that whole three album, let's call that an album, the three album stint of calculating that irony is a dead scene. Um, yeah. And fucking Miss Machine. Unbelievable. It is. But as a full album, I'll give you like, because cause, uh, irony is a dead scene is only four songs, right? Yeah. Yeah. So full album, Miss Machine for sure. But they're all pretty fucking good. I do enjoy every Dillinger album. Um, but back to your answer, it's not Dillinger and it's not this, this warning band. You don't, you just don't want it to be this warning band. You just want it to be a bigger band that you know. Well, this isn't fun if I don't know the band. Who the fuck is split up? Honestly, maybe Zerath. (laughs) Okay. I'll take that. That's tight. I can't because they split up. Um, like every band I'm thinking of. Has already reformed. Poison the Well, they reformed. Wait, have you seen um, Rage live? Yes, twice. Where'd you see them? Reading Festival both times. Okay. Oh, I didn't um, realize that they played two of those. They or, played uh, one, one in like 2000 and one in 2006. Okay, that's tight. I got to see them at um, LA Rising, which was this thing that we had in, I think it was 2010. And it was crazy because... Um, my girlfriend at the time wasn't tall enough for where we were at. So we went on the ramp in the back so that we could like get a little bit of a slope to see. And literally over 30 people came out on stretchers because so many people were pitting so hard for that band. I've got my band. I know who I want to reform. Who? Um, and for the listeners at home, I am talking about ISIS, the band, not ISIS, the militia group. That's a good answer. Have, have you ever seen them? 
Yep, only once. I saw him at Oxford Zodiac in, must have been 2000, 2011 maybe, when Wave Room Radiant came out. 2009 actually. Okay. Um, fucking incredible. Just They're so sick. Band. What's your favorite record from them? See, I want to say Oceanic because I feel like it's the best one. But the one I go back to the most is Panopticon. I knew you were going to say one of those two. And in fact, Wavering Radiant, the last three tracks on Wavering Radiant, fucking absolutely rip. See, I do like that he remembered to turn on his snare in Wavering Radiant. Um, That record is unbelievable. Uh, Absence of Truth is right before that, right? Yes. And... um, Fucking, what's the one before that? Not Oceanic, not Panopticon. Uh, what's the cover? Uh, it's the one, it begins with T. It's got, I think it's got like blood drops on the cover. Um, I know what you're talking about. I know it's weird because I love those old, like I love Oceanic and I love Panopticon, but the first one I heard was uh, Absence of Truth. And then I loved it, and then Wavering Radiant, and then I went back. So even though I like them, I think Wavering Radiant's my favorite because that song, Ghost Key, is like in my top 10 songs ever written. Hey, the album that I was trying to remember was fucking Absence of the Truth because it's the Absence of Truth, isn't it? Oh, it's yeah, not yeah, blood yeah. Drops. It's like little fucking like, like, hair or something. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? That's my least favorite Isis album. In the Absence of Truth? Oh, not in Rivers, but in Drops is on that, though, isn't it? And that that is song is sick. Song. Oh, man, and Holy Tears. Fuck. See, they're... I just thought I thought I hated this album, but I don't. I'm There's no to reason to hate any album from this band. They're dope. So, see, I heard a rumor, because they did that... They reformed to do that um, cave-in memorial show. Yeah, but they called themselves uh, Celestial. Celestial, which is a way better name anyway. <laughs> I know. Just come back so I can wear your merch without wearing a t-shirt that just says ISIS in huge letters. See, it sucks so bad because one, I actually did think that was a sick name, obviously way before all of this stuff came to my attention and all this shit started happening with with other ISIS. But then they made all these other bands and they're cool. But like ISIS is the band is still better than all those bands. Like I like Old Man Gloom. I like Palms. I like all of the like uh, Sumac. But I still think ISIS is the band is better than any of the other ones. Yeah, but you know, it's probably because fucking the drummer's not in any of those bands. Oh, the the drummer was in Palms, wasn't he? Yeah. And I believe he's supposed to come on a podcast. Actually, I'll talk to him sometimes. Um. I believe because he does music for like HBO shows now. I think he had a lot, a lot of the like soundscape input. I don't quote me on that. I haven't heard that from him. I just imagine so because that to me is what mi- is missing from every band that's come out without him in it. And now that's what he does as a job. Totally. No, that um, makes sense. But yeah, that fucking band absolutely rules. So. I think that was the first band that got me into like post metal and like from ISIS, I got into like Godspeed and shit like that. Yeah. yeah. Hang on. Songs can be 10 minutes long. This is (laughs) fucking sick. And then you like the new Cult of Luna, right? Man, I love it. That's my favorite album of last year. 
over oh yeah you told me you didn't go crazy over tool huh yeah man i really didn't how many times i did i did it like five times in a row and i and at that point i liked it and then i put like enema on and i was like oh my god (laughs) it's like it's just one of the best albums of all time 13 years for that is not an adequate amount of time a, a, t- a time a time to product ratio uh in my opinion I, here's the thing anybody i know that loves that album had to listen like 15 times i don't know anybody that could do it in less than 10 everybody i know that loves it listen to it more than that because all my close I think i've done 10 all my close 10. tool friends were like it's it's just okay for like the first month and half of them now are like it's my favorite record they've ever written uh, those people need to be fucking check <laughs> check those people's fucking hard drives check their hard drives these people are on a on a register somewhere you think anima's the best one i think that lateralis those two together are like just the top they're pretty I, unbeatable I love, I love both of them yeah Okay, I think... Um, and I, I like Undertow better than 10,000 Days. Oh, you're crazy then. I think that they that Maynard hit his peak on Anima because he was like pissed. His melodies didn't sound like anybody. He was like his own... Like, I almost feel like he at that time like was like a little bit more of the star than anyone else. And then I feel like Lateralis, they all like peaked at the same time. Like he was dope the band like really figured out how to be themselves and all play together. And then on 10,000 days, I feel like the band stepped up and Maynard kind of chilled out a little bit. And I don't really know how to judge the new one. I still like it. I listen to it all the time. And like when I compare what was put in on that record to almost all the other records of the last like five years, it's still way crazier than anything else that's out. But I get where when you go back and you listen to the like, the ones that you fell in love with and the ones that were them when they're just like writing. But also even like the production though, if if you listen to a song off or any of their albums and then listen to the new one, like I'm not being that guy, but it's quieter. It's mastered quieter. The Toms don't have, it's like that nice fucking, I know it's the same guy. It's fucking evil Joe Baresi, but the Toms don't have that same fucking like high end, like oh just unbelievable sound they're just like okay toms you cannot come out after 13 years with okay toms i'm sorry <laughs> no no i i can i can i can get back behind that because i do think 10,000 days is like one of the dopest recordings i've ever heard in my life oh fucking phenomenal the drums on that record sound like unmatchable like i think that's my yeah. reference every time i go in somewhere at this point is i just want to sound as close to 10,000 days as possible you ever, you ever play that back-to-back with Wavering Radiant? Because it's the same room. Oh, I didn't know that. No, I haven't. Yeah, it's the same room and the same producer, and the drum sound is pretty fucking similar. That's dope. Um, oh, what a fucking good drum sound. That's what I mean. You can't have 13 years off and then not beat <laughs> the previous album's drum sound. Every Stray album, the drum sound has got better. Better and yep. better and better. And Yo, if we had 13 fucking years, it would be it would come out sounding like a fucking space station. I don't know how it would come out. <laughs> Let's talk about how good Will Putney is at recording drums. Just a fucking man. I, He's just an unbel- unbelievable person. I've recorded with 
literally some of my favorite producers in the world. Um, like if I had a, a short list, all, all, all the ones I've recorded with that were for Night Versus were like, and Fever, were people that I've always wanted to work with. But when it comes to drums, it's like still nobody comes close to, to working with Will. Wait, you did a Ross Robinson, didn't you? Yeah, that was crazy. Come on, you must have a Rob, Ross Robinson story. If anyone's not listening, Ross Robinson is fucking the original. He did, he did the first Corn album, didn't he? He yeah. did the first Slipknot album. First Corn, first Slipknot, first Slim Biscuit, first Glassjaw, first Deftones that never got released. Uh, he, he has a crazy story about Deftones. Um, but I don't know, dude. He's, he's awesome, and I learned a lot from him. I have a lot of crazy stories. Like, we kind of went in knowing that he doesn't like doing a click and knowing that something crazy was going to happen. So we were like prepared for the worst and it still just gets crazy. There's nothing you can do. Like the very first day, he kind of, well, first of all, we wrote 20 songs. So we played all 20 songs and he goes, all right, this will be easy. A lot of these songs sound the same. So we'll just cut down and figure out what we need. And like we had worked our ass off and to just be like, yeah, a lot of these songs sound the same. We're not going to use a lot of these was like, <laughs> like seriously yeah. like kind of kind of tough and at the same time we're just like all right so let's see what happens and dude imagine this like you're trying to play for your favorite producer the songs that you've worked your ass off on and he's like no click and he's gonna hand tap tempo a delay on your drums and you're supposed to follow the delay but he forgets to adjust the delay as you change songs so he wants you to just play no matter what even when you have a delay on your snare that's completely off tempo from the song and he didn't give our guitarist any uh effects which he writes with effects constantly uh. and no clean channel and he had his laundry machine playing in our headphones while he was trying to record i mean hear our songs and why what whoa 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 he it was playing in the background or or he mic'd it up to put it into your headphones no like it was playing in the background but like just as loud as all the music so he was basically like i'm not going to listen to demos show me your songs no clean channel or effects no click you have to follow the delay on the snare that i'll choose when i want to tap tempo it and basically if it's a good song i'll know if it's not then it's not a good song so that was like the first two days of him and we we're just like Oh my God, because we wanted to show him the stuff that we were like proud of. And it's just like, you know, our band only has one guitar player and a lot of our dynamic bounces between him switching like clean and distortion, all that stuff wasn't an option. So we played the songs, got through it with Ross. And then uh, it's crazy because he chopped some of the stuff we had done up and his sense of like melody and weird ideas is amazing. Like the thing, the stuff that he showed us just from chopping up vocal melodies and parts and stuff was it was pretty fucking tight where we were just like, okay, he's still got like this magic. Um, but then it's like, we would just do crazy stuff. Like he, his whole thing is he wants you to give, to be uncomfortable. And then uh, he wants to capture you at your most uncomfortable as much as possible on the record. So it's almost like you could never actually recreate it live because he wants the most emotion in every single section of the song so like if he could get a screamer to like scream so much that there's one take where you hear his voice go out he wants to use that moment on ev as much of the record as possible um i get that to a to an extent but like 
when I get stressed out, I play fucking terribly. Yeah, but he's, like, he's I, it patient. It doesn't make me hit harder. I hit fucking hard all the time. And it's like, it just makes me play shitter because I'm thinking, I want to fucking kill this person. But he's, first of all, he would love that. And he's patient. So even if you want to kill him and you play worse, he'll wait a hundred takes until you get the one that's you pissed and also playing okay. Like, oh, I'm so on the fence about whether or not I think this is the sickest thing on earth or I think it sucks. I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's just like if you hear a record that he likes, then that you like that he does, then you're like, that's how he got it. And if you ever want to make a record like that, it won't it won't be the same unless you do it with him. Like when you go into it knowing that, yeah, it's shitty because you're going to have to go through some stuff. There's no way around it. But like the things that he did, whether or not people like the record, I don't care. The things that he did in that room and like the process we went through, it's stuff that I can remember for the rest of my life that no other producer in the world would do. And like understanding, like he does a lot of reverse engineering, um, which I didn't really understand Wait, what did at the he time. Do? Give me an example. Give me an example then. Other yeah, than yeah, the fucking laundry. Yeah. So like for, for writing, like he would take two of my drum beats and stack them on top of each other. And he'd say, you need to make a beat that sounds like this. And it'd literally be eight limbs doing things. And I'd have to replicate that. And then whatever I came up with was what the beat ended up being. Or like he'd say this whole outro, uh, you can't use snare. You can only use cymbals, kick, and your rack tom. And I'd sit there for like two hours until I could get something I was actually happy with. But then I end up with this beat that I never would have written. And after two hours, I found something that like that I am happy with. Like it fits the part and everything else. So it's just a lot uh, of that. Some of me thinks... This is just some fucking time-killing, like, wizardry. Like, nah, I wonder what'll happen. I wonder if it'll be good. Because, like, that Suicide Silence album he did is the fucking worst album of okay. all <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> I'm not arguing with that. But, like, to, to the point, he, here's the thing about Ross. And, like, honestly, this really goes into, like, real art. Like, uh, he's not, he doesn't feel responsible for how good the record is, honestly, honestly. Like, he's trying to get you to go through something. And if you're a dope musician or a good songwriter or you know how to hang, you're going to come up with something that's kind of cool. Like, there was a lot of stuff we had to go back and, like, listen and fix. Because if we just did exactly what he said, our record would have been a lot worse. But that's the, th the thing is, if, if you're, like... And this is no offense to Suicide Silence because I don't know what they went through or what they're going for. But like, if you're just going to trust it and not have any say, then you're going to get some weird shit. But clearly on all the records he did, Ross was like half giving his ideas and then the band's coming back and like molding it. And he, he obviously wants as much control as possible because that's how weird it can get. Or, I mean, it can get weirder that way. But, um, but for us, like he'd even do stuff like with Nick's pedals. He would tell nick to play the part and then he would do the pedals like and just turn knobs so like you know sometimes you can adjust an effects pedal and like you'll get a sound that you could never actually make unless somebody was physically turning that yeah. knob he'll do that yeah. and then nick would have to learn how to replicate it even if it was a different way so again like that whole process we just didn't understand when we were younger like we're so used to writing something deliberately whereas ross is just like it doesn't matter how we get it we need to get this thing that feels different and is like unimitatable and then you have to find a way to recreate it and that's something that i'd never had to do before that and now night versus does it every time that we write that's pretty cool so it's basically recording with ross robinson is like an ayahuasca trip yeah like, <laughs> yeah if you have the shit inside of you 
it's going to come out and you, it might be nice it might not be nice but afterwards you'll be a changed person yeah and i think for suicide silence it's tough because like the genre like here's where ross kind of has a problem and in, in my opinion is he doesn't want to like update and he i mean he has the right not to i mean the dude lives on venice beach he's got enough money he doesn't have to care but like suicide silence is came up in a genre when like the recordings were very specific and like the appeal of that genre was really specific so when you step back and try and do what ross is doing it's like so different from their old shit that i don't even really know how they would have been able to pull that off um also i i think i feel a bit sorry for them on that album because like you said it if you rely totally on basically what you've got and then going to ross it might not come out the best but i know a lot of the guys maybe even all of the guys in um suicide silence their favorite record of all time is the corn self-titled um so like they just went in and i guess just fully trusted him it's like their favorite iconic album and then they're like okay and he's like yeah let's fucking do this wacky shit and they're like i guess (laughs) i fucking guess and then it comes out and everyone goes yeah this stoinks (laughs) well the thing is like like i wonder what the perception would be and this is where i mean ross's update thing is i wonder what the perception would be if that exact record came out like amongst all those corn records in the early 90s because again ross is just like yo this is how i make records this is how i've made records i'm not changing it and oh, it would definitely for sure be well received back then and that's i think the difference is when you're in there and you start to it's, it's hard to explain man like you know if you're a fan like he found slipknot he found corn he found glass jaw like you're you when i was a kid i looked at these bands and i had no idea what they're coming how they're coming up with these things like i could learn them but it just didn't make sense to me so when you're in the studio and the guy that got those bands where they're at is showing you all of those things and you start to hear it coming out of your instruments. It's weird because like, yeah, you could hear the shitty side of it, but it's almost like your brain attaches it to the records you love. So you forget what it sounds like in 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20. So it's this weird like mind trip because you're so stoked that like your guitar tone sounds like at the drive-ins did and you never knew how to get it. But that might not be the best thing considering like the history of your band or like modern recording. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know. It's tough. Understand. He also, he keeps you in there like long hours. So you, you're just like, this is all I'm listening to. This is all I'm into. It's a trip, but, but I don't regret it, man. He's, he definitely learned a lot from him. I, um, I just looked on his old music credits. That was the last album he did. No way. He hasn't done That's an album. Yeah, he hasn't done an album since then. Well, all music is the last credit for producer. He did the he did the used. When? Like their last record. When did that come out? Like two years ago, one year ago, two years ago. Mm, are you sure? Yeah, hundred percent. I'm looking at it right now. I I mean I toured with them right after they did a Ross record. Like I know he's always working on stuff, um, but I don't know. I mean, I don't no, know. that was that was 2017, and so was Suicide Silence. Suicide Silence was the last one he did. Oh damn! I don't know. Then I I see him, and he tells me about projects he's working on, so I know he's doing stuff. And this is what I always say about stuff like bands that get shit or are getting shitty. Just fucking 
Go for a different producer. And don't go for a big fucking name, because big names are just fucking yes men. Go, like, Metallica needs to just go to fucking Will Putney. I think Um, a a lot of bands could go to Will Putney and get a really dope record. Sepultura, right? Sepultura, all their new shit, I'm like, it's so nearly fucking unbelievable. It just needs to be at Will Putney's studio. Which is such a shame because Eloy Casagrande is probably like one of the best he metal drummers is. on the planet. I think he is the best. He's definitely my favorite. You know what's sick about him is that, uh, and for the record, it sucks because I purposely don't watch a lot of my favorite drummers because I don't want to imitate them. Like, I try so hard because it's so easy to see something you like from somebody and go like, oh, cool, I'll do something like that. But the cool thing about Eloy is that he'll play something you've heard a million times and he just plays it better than everybody else. Like It just has this fucking sauce on it. This Brazilian fucking sauce. I know. Like he can do the the double bass beat that I first put in a song when I was fifteen. And he'll make me go like, Oh, I forgot how sick that is. I should probably try and put that in the new Night Versus record. And that's why I'm like really careful. Like I have like a list of drummers. I check their album out once when they come out and I never go back to it because I don't want to imitate it. And I know it's just, it's too easy to do it. Yeah. Not easy to imitate them. Uh, Like, okay, for the record, I don't mean easy like it's easy to play this shit. I just mean easy to want to try and copy it. Uh, Animals as Leaders one. I listen to their record one time when it comes out just to know where the bar is at and then I don't go back because they're dope. And the last thing I want to do is like look back at my night versus record and be like oh man this just sounds like the coolest instrumental band or whatever you know what i mean like i i don't know i I can understand that one because you're three-piece instrumental i can understand you not wanting to steal that no however love matt's drumming now he's incredible i honestly i honestly just i'm that guy though i musically i prefer the fucking first album because it's just a little bit dumber it it's like the the metal on it is a, a tiny bit dumber so like <laughs> i can bang my i can bang my head to it a little bit more but the drumming is obviously way more sensational since matt joined yeah i think it's weird like so here's i had a conversation with um my friend about this and he was chilling with this critic or some guy that that reviews albums and we we're talking about carnival do you listen to carnival love carnival okay and steve judd has some of the dopest drum parts on those last two records of anything in the last like 15 years yep 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 yep. but we were talking about um their last two records and like i personally love sound awake more than almost any prog record in the last like 10 years but yeah i'll I'll give you that but i think uh what is it asymmetry the one after that yep is that what it's called it is okay i think that record is more original like sound awake sounds like all of the prog i like put into a band in this like unique way and then asymmetry sounds like a record that only carnival could write and no other band i've ever heard could write that record and even though i like sound awake better if i was going to do like an album review i'd have to give just as much credit if not more to the to asymmetry because they did something i hadn't heard and so i try and keep that in my head when i'm like judging stuff because people don't understand how much harder it is to make something new than to imitate it like 
it once you've heard it, it's never the same. Like skateboarders talk about that all the time. Like if you come up with a trick, it's so much easier to do it once you've seen someone else do it. And so when bands do something that sounds like I've never heard anything like it, even if I don't like it in that moment, I always have to give them that credit because that's more that's more impressive to me than just writing a really good record that's like 60% tool. You know what I mean? Yeah, you are a true artist. I think I said this the first time I met you. I was fucking drunk as well. But <laughs> you're like an actual artist. Like, like, not as in like, I mean, everything you do is fucking sick, but not as in like, yeah, every, everything you do is a masterpiece. As in like, you're a fucking crazy person. And the way that, the way that you think about things is f- very unique. And it's like... Any artist in any field has that mentality that you have, like the what you were saying about creating and, you know, it being much harder and fucking, you know, not wanting to imitate. It's very good stuff. And I feel like we're going to have to end the podcast there because we'll never top that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sounds good, dude. Thank you so much for, for having me. I know this was like kind of a crazy thing to throw together right before I leave for tour, but I'm- hey. It was sick. Just do a quick plug. What are you doing? You're uh, doing some fucking fever shit, and then you're doing night versus UK and Europe, or just UK? Uh, UK and Europe. I mean, it's like it's only six dates, but um, it is. I'll pull it up right now. We're doing three in the UK, and then a show in Cologne, and a show in the Netherlands, and that's Complexity Fest. And then before that. Uh, Fever is going to be in Japan and then Malaysia and India. Oh shit! There's something we didn't talk about, and it's also a plug, but I also want to know about it. You've just done a fucking web store with like loads of limited art shit. Yeah, art. yeah. I've been trying to get it together for a while, and uh, this was the first time I've had more than two weeks home in the last year and a half. So yeah, I got up prints, uh, t-shirts, and sticks and stuff like that, and I'm just going to keep doing prints more often than anything else because it's like i have all of this art that i haven't been able to get to anybody um so yeah it'll be available on the store which is all on my instagram and if like if people pick it up it's obviously the most it's i know personally from like podcast shirts it is the number one way to support like the musician (laughs) i I know buying the fucking music feels like it's more but buying merch and prints that shit going straight in my fucking pocket, yo. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's crazy. But like the music industry, if anybody's wondering, even if you're a drummer that's trying to to make it, they don't have any money for you, especially as a drummer. No. So you've, you've got to you find... You have to be a merch store. Yeah, if you've got to find a way to sell things directly to the people that care about you, because if there's even one middleman, they're going to take more than 50%. And so I, where can people go and pick up your shit? Um, you can either find it on my Instagram, there's a link, or at uh, ericamproda.com. I just finished the website, so that should all be up and pretty easy to get to. Fuck, yeah. And I'll do a little plug at the beginning of the episode as well. Cool. Okay, mate. Oh, yeah, dude. Enjoy your fucking travels. Thank you, man. Um, Thank you so much for being down to get this all going. Man, I'm fucking... I'm glad we got it done. Uh, Bye.